Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. Welcome. So excited to have Ines LeBeau as our guest today. She is serving as the CEO and founder at Enterprise Transformation Solutions. I've had the pleasure to visit with Ines prior to our recording session today, and I'm really excited for you to hear from her. So welcome, Ines. So glad you could take time with us today. Thank you very much for having me on your show. So looking forward to learning more about you and hearing your story, sharing your story with our listeners off the air, we visited a bit. One of the introductory pieces that I'm excited to hear about is your name uh, that I think ties into your story and kind of who you are, the headlines of your life, so to speak. So can we go there first? Sure. So I was born in Argentina um, and therefore my name Ines, right? It's a Spanish name and um, to Holocaust survivors. And we moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. My mother had 12 brothers and sisters, and they lived in Washington, D.C., and um, my mother wanted to be with her family. So, honestly, uh, growing up with Holocaust survivors, you know, I learned to be resilient, to pivot, to be disciplined, uh, for my parents, it was, you know, existential, you know, life or death. And it was really hard work. So my parents owned a restaurant. And from the age of 11, I worked summers in the restaurant, working with the chef, peeling peaches, clearing tables, you know. Um, and as my mother taught me, you do whatever you need to do, and the customer's always right, you know. And uh, she always said that you need an education because no one can take that away from you. Obviously, from, you know, being a Holocaust survivor and one day being taken away. Uh, so she said to me that no matter what life brings you, you know, it can't be taken away. So I went off and I, got three degrees. I have a bachelor's uh, to, and a master's in uh, languages and linguistics. And I have another master's in administration from American University. Of course, I never utilized, you know, that background in my career. But um, their work ethic was off the charts. And that is what served me well in my life and, and you know, my career. And so I love being in this entrepreneurial environment. And I learned from that, that I love fixing things. So, you know, it's sort of like I hear a problem. I have to go find a solution and I need to go fix it. Right. Uh, it's sort of like I watch all these shows on TV and you know, others, HGTV, they're before and after, you know, the transformation. Right. Um, and so I could see the solution about the problem. And honestly, it's in my DNA. So I, when I walk around, I live in a high rise. So if I see a problem, I have to go. <laughs> go I drive the property manager crazy. So anyway, so that's kind of, you know, my whole background. Right. And so that leads me to my first job. 
So, and, and it's important to remember that I had degrees not related to anything, really, right? So, so I had a friend who worked at a company called American Satellite Company, and she submitted my name to HR. And so I interview for the job, and they offer me the job as a program manager. So now it's in a satellite company, and they're offering me a program manager job. And I took the job, and driving home, I go, oh, my gosh, what's a satellite? And what's a program manager, right? And so because my mother... My mother taught me to be fearless and resilient. I decided, oh, why not take the job? So it ended up it was the best decision I ever made in my entire career, right? Because the good news was they sent me to GW. I went night classes. I was a single parent. Um, So I went to night classes for satellite communication and engineering. And uh, who knew? Who knew that I would take to engineering? Well, the reason is because um, when you learn the intricacies of language itself, right, um, it, it, it has the same kind of um, mathematical kind of calculation to it. People don't know that, but it does as engineering. So, and they put me in charge in the most visible job in the company. Here it is, my first job, who knew, uh, in a company, and I was building Greenfield, uh, a national uh, terrestrial network. So I have to explain. The satellite is just satellites, even, are just a giant amplifier. So they need to talk to something, right? So they talk to the ground, so the terrestrial portion, right? Otherwise, it just amplifies. It's a transmit and receive kind of thing. So that's what they put me in charge of. I built a national um, terrestrial network also in Switzerland and Hawaii. And um, it required me to know construction, cement, rebar, generators, fiber, working with unions. Okay, I was learning all this as I was going. Oh, and... I managed across functions, so I was the only female in company. So that's another whole podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> What's it like to be a female, you know, um, in the 80s in an all-male environment? Um, and I was dealing with third-party vendors and unions, New York, Local 3. And so leading teams of engineers and uh, so this is, I learned, this has helped me for the rest of my career. I learned uh, devising detailed implementable plans, relatable uh, process procedures, and I was hooked. I, I, it was, you know, it, I was really hooked into this. Um, and all the principles that I learned in my first job, you know, apply today. So. I'll take you. So now here we are, 35 years. It's been a 35 years career. Started with American Satellite. Um, And after American Satellite, I had a partner, a guy that I met when I was working there. And we were recruited 
into venture private equity and boards into companies that had really low valuations and and the owners wanted to exit, but they couldn't. So the mission was to transform these companies, you know, sales, business operations, and prepare them for sale. So in this 35 years, my partner and I, uh, we were in 12 companies and we exited nine successfully. Um, we had 11 mergers and acquisitions we did, 800, mil, 800 million in revenue through that time period, and we had one IPO, which was really interesting, doing road shows, working with bankers. We had to raise a lot, a lot of money in my career. I've raised a lot of money. So I would say we, we were operational and financial architects. You know, that's, that's what I would call us. So fast forward, 2015, we sold our last company. My partner and I had worked for 35 years, 24 by 7, seven days a week. And just even when I talk about it, I get exhausted. <laughs> and we, we, we absolutely decided we were not going in another company. And we promised each other we were not going to call and say, oh, listen, I found this company. I'm like, no. Because one company we were in, Mark and I had bought out of bankruptcy. So it talked about challenging. So I decided I wanted to use my whole background and experience, right? Um, and that's how Enterprise Transformation Solutions was born. So I named it Enterprise Transformation Solutions because transformation is changing from within. That is what I do. That's what I always did, changing companies from within um, and transform these companies by providing solutions so they can go to the next level of profitability, right? So ETS, so who am I? I am a startup and scale-up advisor, uh, mentor and coach. I work with three kinds of companies. So I work with free revenue companies, right, to funding, next stage growth. So next stage growth is like one of my clients was a um, $6 million company and he was stuck. So went in and why was he stuck? And we got him unstuck and now he's a $10 million company. It's just solving, you know, that was solving a very specific issue he had. And then of course, turnaround, you know, turnaround, turning companies around uh, to exit. So the main focus is preparing entrepreneurs for funding. That That is my main focus, right? And I have devised, I came up with a 20-step process. So it goes from, you know, what is your value proposition, right? What's your market? Do you have a market? You know, uh, all the way to your business plan and, you know, and, and so that whole package, right? But you can't do your business plan until you define who you are. You know, what's your why? Where are you doing that? And so that's a 20 step. And so the output of that process 
is a one and two one or two page investor executive summary. And I train everybody to have a four minute pitch deck, right? Four minutes. Because you know, you need to be able to tell a story. You know, the power is in the least amount of words to get your point across. That's the power no matter what we do, right? And I'm agnostic to industry because the steps you need to do when you have a company, whether it's a startup or a turnout, it's the same steps no matter what, right? And then um, in 2015, I also partnered with Tian Wang. Um, Tian Wang for 10, 10 years, it used to be before COVID, you know, an in-person event in the Washington, D.C. area. And we just uh, last week had our 17th virtual event. And um, we what we do is we provide a platform for entrepreneurs to get funding. So it's a very simple concept. We have about seven, 800 people attendees. It's free. We have 10 to 12 presenters. They have four minutes each. I'm true to my, my teachings. Four minutes to tell us their story. And we do a poll for them in the, right after presentation. So the investors, because we have investors in the audience, um, that tell us who they're interested in. And then we forward that to them. So it, it, it all kind of fits together. You know, I help prepare them as one side of my business. And then when they're ready, they, if they want to, right, if they want to, they can go present on, you know, Connectpreneur. So that is, that is who I am. Well, I love it. There's a lot there. And I'm so grateful, again, for your, your level of preparation and the details that you shared. Really amazing just to hear where you've been. I'm really curious about a couple of things. One, I was just fascinated with what you said about the, I tried to capture your words without stopping list, the listening process, <laughs> but you said uh, there's a mathematical nature uh, to language that translated into the engineering field that you found yourself in kind of almost by accident or, you know, serendipity or whatever you call it. Um, I, I think that there's almost always a connection between learning how to learn and applying that in, in whatever field you find yourself in. I, I try to tell even my teenagers this, this isn't a podcast for teenagers, but I, I think the principle still applies to all of us that there's a connection. So do you have any further thoughts on that principle? How, how can we grab hold of that and do something with it? You know, everybody, uh, as you know, all the literature shows, it's, it's, everybody doesn't grasp mathematics, right? The, the, you know, that, you know, it's, it's, the the logic there's a logic there's a math the logic of that in your brain actually right because one of the things about learn I I had languages and linguistics so you l- learn how your front brain functions right in many different ways um, how we communicate with each other and how all that works but but it also is in these finer details so there in language there's morphine phonemes and this whole we could do you know talk about that but but so there's a way then that when I was taking these engineering classes 
there seemed to my brain did a translation from what I had previously learned is the best I can explain it to you. Okay. No, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. And again, just the idea that so much of learning is, is molding our minds is helping our minds become moldable. Maybe it's the better way to say it rather than the, I guess the intrinsic value of the knowledge itself. It's the process of learning that often helps us get to the place like where you ended up, where you're seeing this connection between two seemingly disparate things and you made this meaningful connection. Your brain does a translation. There, there were lots of coursework in that. There's, there's a translation process in your brain, you know? So yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it was really, I was really excited. I, when they told me about these engineering classes, I was, oh, no, I was not good in math. But then, <laughs> who knew? Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I think it's really fascinating. Well, and the second thing I wanted to kind of just probe on a little bit is you talked about how when you were going into companies, the, the 12 different companies that you went into, it sounds like the difference between that and what you're doing now is that you were kind of the doers, you were the boots on the ground executing, and now you are the advisor and strategic kind of a coach uh, type role. Is, is that correct? I'd love to just understand that better. Correct. So when uh, Mark and I went into these companies, we replaced the executive staff, right? And so um, we were the boots on the ground, right? We, we honestly, we had to architect the transformation. These were all companies that, you know, needed to be re-engineered. And so we had financial re-engineering, operational engineering. And in the operational, um, you know, there was revenue revenue generation, which is that whole sales and marketing side of the house. And then there's what I call, you know, revenue implementation. The, that group of people are the ones who, who implemented uh, the sales and, uh, you know, and then the revenue was generated and billing from that work. So I got, I always get it down to those two simple concepts, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, this is not magic fairy dust. <laughs> this is block and tackle. But, but there were, there are areas, there were five areas that we focused on, right? And I, I think we're only going to have time to talk about one, but but there are five areas. There is your employees, communications, which, you know, is the umbrella to everything, right? Um, there is customers, process, strategy, and execution. That's the focus. But honestly, when you go into any company, the absolute focus has to be, you know, the em- employees, right? Th- that is really the most important of all. And, uh, and you know, who implement who implements your revenue? It's not your CEO. It's not your CFO, <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> it's your people, right? So I want to I want to read you a quote uh, from uh, General Colin Powell. So he said organization doesn't really accomplish anything. Plans don't accomplish anything either. Theories of management don't matter much. Endeavors succeed or fail because of the people involved. Hmm, Powerful. 
it is powerful, right? Because that's it, right? Be, be, without your people, you're toast. And and so, you know, we we have you know Simon Sinek, which I know you probably know. He yeah. said, you know, your customers will not love your company until your employees love it first, right? They're, you know, they are the face to your customer, right? It's not the CEO. And if we had more, you know, if we were talking about customers, which we don't have time today, but, you know, when's the last time a CEO actually made phone calls, right? Talk to their customers. When we went into our customers, Mark, in our companies, Mark and I, we rarely saw the customers went to you, the first people who talked to us, you know? So it's just crazy. So the literature out there, right? All the literature that we all read, you know, all the books. <laughs> I meet a lot of startup people, right? These CEOs, they're reading books, <laughs> you know? And, and oh, yeah, and this book, they tell me that book, I'm like, ah! You know, but they talk about all these books. They talk about leadership as they see it or products or you know, sales. But uh, rarely have you seen a book that's devoted to employees. Right. Let's talk about the importance, a title that says the importance, you know, of, of um, the employees. So Richard Branson. He said, I don't care about my customers. I care about my people. And if I take care of my people, they're going to take care of my customers, you know, and that is the truth. So employees want to know how they fit holistically into a company and be part of something special. You know, they want to strive for a common goal, right? They need to know that their job is critical. There is no, there's no such thing as a small job, right? So you, you know, you, you hire people. Maybe that's a job they do when you interviewed them and maybe it isn't. And you put them, you know, in a cube and they are heads down. Right. But, but they don't, there's no transparency. They, they don't know how they really, you know, fit in the company. So only 40% of employees report that they are well-informed about the company's goals, strategies, and tactics. And I think 40% is high, right? I do. And 70% of American workers, although I've recently seen other data that's higher, um, are dissatisfied. And we're not surprised, right? So why are they dissatisfied? They're decided to they're and it's not compensation. Everybody, every CEO you talk to, every interview you do, right? Or I listen to other coaches, whatever, oh it's it's not. It's not, right? What's the root? The root is management management and leadership competency. And the team, team dynamics, right? People overlook, I saw it firsthand, the team dynamics and what that does, right? So 
the the interface with the peers, right? Because there's such a lack of clear guidance and direction, you know, from management, uh, they lack they lack visibility, right? So they lack what? Okay, let me give you an example. So one of the companies that uh, we were in, uh, what I did with them, right? We would have a weekly meeting and every week I would show them, this is the number you need to make this week. Here's the number for the month. Here's where we are as a company, right? What do these numbers mean? Your job is really important. There's no such thing as, and you know what? You think you're the lowest denominator, but let me tell you the impact when you screw up, right? Wow, it's such a it's such an eye opener to these people, right? So here's the thing that always bugged me. So here we are, adults. We're adults, you and I, and we have kids. We have a mortgage, right? And we come to work, and we're treated like children, right? They lack training. They lack clarity. They're in a cube. Yeah, they 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 just. There's a lack of transparency for them to latch onto. It's really actually pretty upsetting to me when when I see that, right? So let's talk about the management. So first I want to tell you that uh, there was a guy, probably before most of us were born, but Lawrence Peter, and he wrote a book in 1969 called The Peter Principle which is still true today. That book is fantastic. It's still true today. That people are promoted to the level of their incompetency. So let, let me let me tell you a story around that. So you're you're um you're a car sales guy, right? And you're the top best sales guy and that you're the top. You're the best, right? And so management now decides, oh, we're going to make you the manager of this department, right? That's what he meant. And he even gives that as an example. That's what he meant that people are promoted to the world. Now the guy fails, right? He didn't, uh, he, he doesn't have the management skills to manage the other salespeople. Maybe he knows how to interface with customer, right, to sell the car, he lacks that communication skill, Um, and here are the keys, you know this, any leader, how to motivate, coach, and inspire. How do I motivate you? I need to find what what is it that makes you tick, right? And every person, at one point, I had 12 direct reports. They were all different. They were all day and night. So everyone... I had to figure out how do I motivate? How do I motivate Betsy and how do I mo- mo- motivate Allison? And, you know, and, uh, and they would tell me. So, <laughs> so here's the other thing. The way management treats employees, I've seen this, is the model of which employees treat the customer. You know why? Because they think that's okay. Because this is how he or she is treating me, so it must be okay for 
you know, me to treat them like that, right? So how do you know you're in trouble? Okay. Your employees don't know your why. They don't know your goals. They don't know your objectives of the company. They don't know or understand the customer expectations, right? And the reason is, here's where management is the model, okay? Everybody is internally focused instead of externally focusing on the customer and understanding that who, who brings in the revenue? Who, how do you think you're getting paid? Who do you think is <laughs> Right? So, um, you know, we, I see this every day, all day, every day, because when I work with people, they're talking internal, and I keep saying, what about your customer? What about your customer? What's your customer think? You think you should maybe give them a call? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, and it seems like if I may go back to something you said uh, fairly early on that I think has has been woven into everything since then, which is this gap between what is happening on the ground, so to speak, and what the C-suite is doing to learn about what is happening on the ground. You, you talked about your frustration around the bookworm, you know, just uh, the reading in a book and, and figuring that that must be relevant and applicable in their specific scenario, but they're missing this huge opportunity to connect to the customer why do you think that happens? I mean, if, if you kind of do a quick root cause analysis, what's what's at the root of that behavior? I see it. This is in this generation now, right, that they think they need to read a book to know how to be a leader. And if Simon Sinek says so, well, now I'm going to do that. I, oh, you just triggered. I got to tell you. So in 2015, a CEO friend of mine asked me to come and help him because he was losing market share, right? Oh, my gosh. Do you know what he did? You know, it, it was unbelievable. Every week he read a new book, and then he would have a meeting with the employees, and he would tell them the new theory, right, for the week. Okay, so then a week later he'd have another meeting because he read another book. He was trying out all these different theories that were all conflicting, and at the end of the day, the reason he was losing market share is because nobody in the company knew what are we supposed to be doing, right? Hmm. That's my theory. My theory, and he's my model for this, is that he didn't know he didn't know how to run a company. He didn't know how to manage people. He didn't have that background and experience. Honestly, you know, uh, I told you my story when I started at American Satellite. I learned I learned that by doing that, by, by having to manage. And of course I told you I was a female, but I had to manage these engineers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I had to figure out how do I motivate them? Right. How do I get them to do what I needed to be done without just being a dictator? Right. Which I could do, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's why mm -hmm. I know that's why. Oh, that's great. I, I, I love I love that example and the kind of the, the 2015 story uh, because I do. Again, I've seen it as well. Uh, there was even a Harvard Harvard article a few years ago. I can't remember the exact title, but it was basically about bursting the 
executive bubble or bursting the CEO bubble. It was something like to that effect. Um, and again, making that direct connection between executive leadership and what the customer is experiencing. And you even talked about the importance of shifting from that internal uh, emphasis to external and walking in the customer's shoes and all that. So anyway, I just, I think it's, it's marvelous in the sense that we have an opportunity now uh, to take that forward and apply it. Uh, so that certainly can be one of our powerful action items or takeaways from the conversation thus far. Um, anyway, so I hope I didn't throw off your, no, you were doing, no, yeah, go ahead no, with what you were I, sharing. I would tell you the overall message, right. Uh, would be inclusive culture, hmm. right. And transparency. You know, if you want to be successful in leading a company, uh, you have to be transparent and you have to be inclusive, you know, and honestly, you have to recognize who really is the face of to your customers? Who is mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Who brings in the revenue? Who is delivers your product and services? Sure isn't you as a CEO or the CFO or you know whatever C-suite you are, right? And who will who's gonna make or break your results? It's your people. Honestly, somebody really should write a book about this. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, somebody should really write a book because all the other books that are reading, reading isn't working. <laughs> well, maybe it should be you, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you could do a marvelous job, I know. And, and, and I love yeah, I love what you've shared here. And I, I feel like we're going to have to leave this hanging because there's so much more to talk about. Uh, at least that's my – you even mentioned earlier of the – I think it was your five-part model. Right. Uh, we've really only touched on a little fraction of part one, and there's so much more to right. delve into. So if if, uh, if you would be so generous, we'd love to circle back and hear more about the other pieces at some I point would, in the near I future. Would, I would love to. I would love to. Because wonderful, wonderful. The next topic would be communication. Which is massive. And, and as a linguist, uh, linguistics professional and an expert in that space, I think it'd be great to just hear – some of your experiences and stories about the importance, even just little things like the importance of word choice and timing. And, um, you know, just, I'm sure there's just some uh, war stories, so to speak, that you could relate to us that would help us uh, check ourselves a bit and and make sure we're aligned there. So, and again, that's just one other layer and so many more behind that. So that's, I want want to just leave you with a quote, right? Great. Great. So George Bernard Shaw, He said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. (laughs) I absolutely love that. (laughs) I think that is so great. Yep. That's awesome. Well, so let's let's just finish up with action. Again, we already already touched on a couple of potential actions that people could just take and run with. Uh, Is there there anything kind of at the end here that you want to leave as a more formal challenge to our listening audience that they can really grab hold of from our conversation? go and immediately apply to be a higher impact leader and and more influential to that overall customer experience, that external facing side of what they do. Uh, I think that there are two things at the end of the day. Number one is include your employees, right? Be transparent, communicate with them. It'll pay dividends a million times over because then they will have a, a vested interest and how your company does. I saw that when I included my people, right? 
And uh, we, by the way, the, in the bankrupt company, we had a meeting every week with them because we told them that we didn't know how we were going to make payroll. Hmm. It was, we took over a company, it was bankrupt, right? How we were going to make payroll. And we told them that. And we told them that this wasn't for everybody. You know, you all have kids and a family and it's going to be tense, right? And you need to treat this like your own checkbook. That's how you need to treat it. And a couple of people left, but everybody hung on. And you know why they hung on? They hung on because we had this conversation every week. And then we would tell them our progress and our, our setbacks. We treated them like adults who had kids and a mortgage. I, I, every night I was up worrying about, you know, Mark and I would be, how are we going to make payroll? How are we going to make? Hmm, wow. Very creative. <laughs> to <laughs> oh, say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Get creative, but we did. And we made payroll. And you know what? Those people stayed with us. That hmm. turnaround was our longest. It was four years. The others were two. Um, we bought the company for $18 million and we sold it for $550 million. With, wow. all, with all the same people. They stayed with us all over the way through. It's your people. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's your people. That's 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 the takeaway. It's your people. You know, be transparent. Talk to them. You know, communicate. I love it, and it, and you put it so well. So I won't try to elaborate on that uh, here in our conversation. I'm grateful to you uh, for your investing your time with us. How can people connect with you if, if they're interested in learning more about the work you're doing personally, or or even of course ETS as well. So uh, my uh, website is transformationsolutions.pro. My email is ilebism boy as in boy, O-W, at transformationsolutions.pro, P-R-O. Uh, or you can call me, 314-578-0958. Wonderful. Thank you. That's, that's awesome just to, to make yourself so available for people who may... Again, be in a tough situation or whatever the case is, uh, you're very kind and generous to share that. And, and again, just a big thank you to for this first first edition, I would say, because I hope that we have a couple more editions to come and share more of your, your wisdom and experience with us. Thank you so much, Spence. It was awesome. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.